My name is David Vaughn. I am so glad you're here in person watching online. Perfect weather for the Hope Open Golf Tournament today. Finally, after 20 years, my favorite day of all times have come. I get to preach, I get to golf, I get to eat. That's pretty much my dream day right there. If I, if I make it that long, that's what I get to do. But we are really glad you're here. You know, sometimes preachers tease one another about having a last sermon file. You know what the last sermon file is. The last sermon file is where we kind of store those things that we really wanted to say during your ministry, but you never had the courage to do so. That file might contain the names of people that you just really want to tell off. I, I don't, I've never done it. I just write their name on a golf ball and I hit it right into the woods. It's wonderful. I had a guy say, David, I know my name's been on one of your golf balls. I said, yes, it has. Maybe that file contains a position on an issue that you really want to be more bold about, but you're afraid it'll stir up controversy. And you might think, after 20 years of preaching in the same place, that I have this huge folder of things I want to say, but honestly, I don't. There are no personal views that I haven't already expressed over the last 20 years. I honestly hold no grudges against anyone for the most part. Um, my early years tested that. I do hope if I have offended or neglected anyone in my ministry here that you would forgive me. This month, we're having some family discussions, really uh, less sermons and more discussions about succession and transition in a series called Legacy. Because we stated it last week, the ability or inability to pass the leadership baton successfully determines the ongoing success of the organization and the outgoing leader's legacy. And we want to pass the baton well. We're using the Apostle Paul's last and final words, some of the last things he said on earth to his flock in the little bit book of 2 Timothy. We're using it as our guide, and I am sharing four things uh, this month that I want to be remembered for as your lead pastor of 20 years. They're kind of four core values or words, legacy last words, if you want to call it, that I want you to remember as the baton of leadership is handed off to me and to JT. And JT is back today. <laughs> it's nice they clapped. I, I just want to tell you, he's still not 100% back. I don't think his stomach is back yet, uh, but he's here today, raised 620 some thousand dollars to plant new churches. Awesome. Awesome. So this message today is not only to him, it is to you. Last week, I gave you the first word from the book of 2 Timothy. It was be real. Be real. If you missed that, it was a holiday weekend. Go back and watch that, and you'll catch up. This morning, I'd like to give you the next one. It's really simple. Be biblical. Be biblical. I've used this Bible to preach here for a long, long time. In fact, I was showing Alan before the service. It's, I've used so much. I got duct tape. It's literally holding it together. All my notes are here. I learned a long time ago that a Bible that's falling apart is usually owned by someone who isn't. All right. So I, I've been, I like go back. I remember that joke. I remember that outline. If there was anything I could say to you as parting words, it would be this folks, let's be biblical in what we say and what we do. One of the strongest words from Paul to his protege, Timothy in the faith was this admonition preach the word, preach the word. 
Let me read exactly what he said. And these words apply again to not just me and JT, our communicators. It applies to everyone here as you define who your Timothy is, as you spread out with your legacy, uh, as you as, a, as leaders, as staff, as fully devoted followers, you have a legacy that you're building as well. But listen what Paul said in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 14. Notice how often he's going to now talk about the biblical. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures what is the value of that? Which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ, faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, everything in this book is God-breathed. It means it's inspired, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God, male or female, the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then he goes on with some words that are specifically for those of us who proclaimed the word on the stage, but all of us, in some sense, you're going to find out, are preachers of the word. Here's what he says to Timothy. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. That's a serious thing. And in view of his appearing, he's coming back, and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Don't preach you just your opinion. Don't preach popular theory or philosophy. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Now, I want to unpack those words and apply them in some unique ways by looking back but also looking ahead. Paul encourages Timothy in these verses to live and to lead and to love with eternal values in mind. He keeps reminding Timothy that the focus of his ministry, the focus of our ministry, is on the ultimate finish line. We got to keep the main thing the main thing. What's the main thing? Preach the word. Why? Because we have a God, he says, who is fully present, he's watching. And he will someday hold us accountable. You know, right, that when you stand before God as your judge, and everyone will, everyone watching online, everyone in this building will, it's not going to matter how much money you made, how many titles or trophies were bestowed on you, how big the church attendance was, how much money was given. When life is over and you stand before the eternal judge, the one thing that's going to matter is this. Did you fulfill his purpose and mission for your life and your generation? Did you love people? Did you serve people? Did you preach the word? That's why what we do here today and every day, not just on Sunday, is vitally important. We are bringing people to Christ and preparing them to face eternity. And friend, I don't know of another institution or organization on planet earth that has such a significant long-term effect on people than the church, the local church working right. It's our ultimate hope and help. Some people may think that the world revolves around politics in Washington, D.C. It does not. I know you've been watching Fox. I know you've been watching CNN. It does not. It, some people think the world revolves around finances on Wall Street. It does not. Some people think the world revolves around entertainment in Hollywood with Johnny Depp trial. It does not. <laughs> See, I know what some of y'all are watching. But many are going to be shocked 
when the Lord returns to judge the living and the dead to discover that the world actually revolves around Jesus and his church and his mission. It's his world. So our current and future test could not be more vital. The stakes are sky high. Friend, I just tell you, have you been watching the news every once in a while? The world has lost its mind and its moorings. Our country, our culture is literally coming apart at the seams. People are looking for answers and we've got them in the church. We've got them in this church. So friend, our job, our sanctified opportunity and responsibility is simply to do what Paul told Timothy to do, preach the word. It's not complex. We make ministry too complex. Just preach the word, follow Jesus. Now we normally think of this command as a command to preachers, and it is. But Jesus instructed every disciple before he left this planet, again, his last request, our first priority. He said every disciple was to go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Pretty simple. You like to maybe hear a sermon if it's good, and I've had some bad sermons over the years. There's sometimes I, I would drive home and say, that's the worst sermon ever been preached in a pulpit anywhere in the country. And inevitably, somebody will come up and say, David, I think that was your best one. And just show you how it works. Sometimes I'll preach and I'll say when I'm done, oh, that was good. That's guys so good I could have taken notes on myself. That was good. And nobody will say a word about it. It's crickets. And I'll say, Donna, wasn't that good? Well, it's all right. <laughs> we like to hear sermons, but I propose to you that people would rather see a sermon than hear one any day. So what kind of message are you delivering with your one and only life? So my words to you, as well as JT and our gifted teaching team, is the same thing this morning. Preach and teach the word. Preach and teach the word. Feed people the milk, because some are babies in the faith, milk and the meat of the biblical word of God. Peter had an interesting way to put this in 1 Peter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. The, the word is milk and the word is meat. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Some of us have been tasting the word for a long time. We should not be babies anymore, but we are. What's the difference? The word of God. You know, I don't know if you know this, but feeding babies is pretty important. I first heard that there was a baby formula shortage, not from Fox News, but from my son Tyler, as they needed it for my new granddaughter, Junebug, who, by the way, went home from the hospital last week. She gained weight, doing so well. But because of that formula shortage, Donna and I have been on a quest, an all-out quest, to find some of that prized formula. So whenever I go to Kroger, I do something I haven't done in 40 years. I go down the baby aisle looking for formula. So much has changed about the baby aisle since I was down there with diapers and formula. It's been a long time since I've been down that aisle. One of my buddies said, probably about as long as it's been since you went down the hair products aisle. That's, 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 that's what I said. Smart Alec. I, he used to be my friend. Anyway, Paul says that we are on a quest to find and dispense the milk and the meat of the word, even if at times we don't feel like it. That's why he says it's in season and out of season. See, sometimes preaching 
yourself, your life, and in what we do on this on the stage here as we teach and preach regularly. Sometimes it's an easy season. You sit down with your family at Christmas, you open up the Bible, you read the, the nativity account in Luke chapter two. It's an easy season. But I'll tell you this, there are more out of seasons than there are in seasons. Sometimes it's out of season when you're required to preach the word, when you're tempted to miss church on Sunday morning because you stayed up late on Saturday night for that game or that movie, or your kids have one of those endless Sunday morning sports cartel games. I know, your kids are select. Could I just tell you a little something I've learned? Your kids ain't select. We've seen them play. Every kid is select. Maybe I do have a last sermon folder. I, I don't know. <laughs> Let me tell you what, they're not going to get a scholarship. You know what they are going to get? Smacked in the face by an ever-increasing secular culture that will pressure them to conform to everything that this book says they shouldn't do. And if they're not in and around the church learning the Bible, they will question and sometimes even leave their faith. So that's why our students and our next generation are so vital. That's why I love one of JT's core values and strategies, next generation. So some of my parting words, I want to call on you to be boldly biblical and passionate at proclaiming the word that will set people free, the truth of God's word, even though it will not always be well received. Now, here's why you must, we must, JT must commit to continue to preach the word. In this little book of 2 Timothy that I read, let me read to you the final two verses that came right after where he gave him the charge to preach the word. Here's why. For the time will come, Paul said, and I would propose to you that this time has already come. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. That time is come. An increasing number of people in our culture and even in the church, they don't want to hear the truth of God, that there is one God who is creator and will come back to judge the earth, that Jesus is the only way to heaven, or that the Bible is the inspired inerrant word of God. More and more ears don't want to hear that life is sacred, that marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman, that there is a real heaven and a real hell and real people are going there every day. And what are we going to do about it? They are. Now, his grace is greater than our disgrace. I love that. We preach that here. Jesus specializes in second chances with misfits like us. But it does require humility and submission to the word. Before the gospel sets you free, it will make you miserable because it's the truth. There are three steps that Christian sociologists have indicated of a downward moral decline in a society, a nation, and a church. Let me give you them. You have probably already seen this occur and happen. Three steps of a downward moral decline in any nation or society. Number one, what was once condemned by God is now celebrated. What was once celebrated by God is now condemned. And those refusing to celebrate that sinful new way 
are then condemned by the society. That day has come. Our culture, in my 20 years here, I have witnessed this firsthand as I preach and teach and work with people. Our culture has fully accepted two huge distortions and lies. Lie number one, if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear them or hate them. That's not true. In fact, you may be lo- the most loving thing to do is to say, here's the truth of God in your life. Number two, to love someone means you must agree with everything they believe or do. That's another distortion. Because I, I look at the life of Jesus, he didn't compromise conviction to be compassionate, and you don't have to either. He was full of grace and full of truth. At the same time, both are essential. Now, the church traditionally, to our own discredit, we, we have hammered people with the truth, but we haven't given them love and grace. You can't preach the love of God with a clenched fist. The church has been guilty of that. Our disposition must not cancel out our position. So it's an earned thing. But in our country and culture right now, this is it. Truth sounds like hate for those that hate the truth. That's not going to change, friend. You're going to be an oddball. You're going to be an outlier. You're going to be weird. You're going to feel this world is not your home. It never was. Heaven's your home. We're just foreigners, ambassadors traveling through. And we are to speak the truth in love, even though it may be counterculture, like a mailman that faithfully delivers the mail most of the time, rain or shine, we are to preach the word of God in season and out of season. Now, I haven't got it right all the time. Sometimes my disposition has been a little fired up about a position. But I have attempted to deliver God's truth in my 20 years here on every subject, no matter how sensitive, controversial, or political it may be. As a result, I have received, I've been the recipient, I've been blessed with some of the most cruel and critical and comical letters and emails you can imagine. It's going in a book sometime, but it'll be after I'm gone from here. But I have not lived, and I had to figure this out pretty early on, I have not lived for what men think of me, even though I struggle with this disease to please. I've got to please God first. I have to lead for him. I have to live for him. He's going to be the one that ultimately evaluates my ministry here. And I want to hear him say, good and faithful servant, well done. I don't and have never feared being on the wrong side of history. I fear being on the wrong side of him. And I've had employee evaluations that our elders give me. Thank God that'll go away. (laughs) That goes to JT now. Have fun with that. Good men, though, want me to be better. I've always appreciated their evaluation. But the ultimate evaluation I'll receive will be from the Father, who knows the dark part of me, who knows the real part of me, and says, that's my boy. So Paul tells Timothy here with his final words to preach the word to correct, rebuke, encourage, even though it may be accompanied by unpleasant duties and hardships. And I've had so many great experiences over the years here, but I gotta tell you, there have been times when ministry has been painful and difficult, and I don't think that's gonna change. I've had to say some necessary but difficult things to people, things that the Bible says are absolutely true, and I've said them to people who used to like me up to that point. Although I've had folks received words well and are still my friends today, 
I've had some people just walk away, cut me off in relationship. That stinks. People I've traveled with, vacation together, an inconvenient truth, they pulled away. Speaking the truth has cost me friendships. It's cost us financial gifts to this church. But I decided a long time ago I wouldn't be silent and I couldn't be bought. And you have, yes. And you have a new lead guy over here who is also of this ilk. One of our members described him as a human wrecking ball for Jesus. I'm telling you that's true. That's the guy you want as long as he's wrecking them with the word. That's what I'm saying. I've had to share some very difficult things to leaders and even staff over the years. Perhaps it was a character issue or a chemistry issue or a competency issue, and they had to transition off our staff. Some former staff are still good friends, some are not. You know, it's really hard when people leave a church to not be able to share what you know when they seem more than willing to share with others everything they think. That's hard. I'm waiting for time to prove it right. I've had to tell church members who, engage, who are engaged in immorality to stop. People who are creating conflict to leave. That's a fun conversation. I've watched insider-focused people walk away from this wonderful church because we decided to be outward-focused, and we let them walk. I've had to preach funerals for stillborn children. I've had to inform people that there's been a tragic accident and some of the toughest funerals I've ever had to do are to bring comfort to families whose children complete suicide. What do you say? My words have never been adequate. I just keep coming back to the Bible. And when I woke up some mornings and I knew I had to speak into those kind of people, into those kind of situations, there was a part of me that wished I weren't in ministry. I wish I just opened like a zip dip on Route 128 and <laughs> I could retire eating all the ice cream I wanted but I felt like I gotta be obedient to the heavenly vision. I'm only here on earth, that's your job, son. Preach the word. So to JT and our wonderful teaching team in whom I am so well pleased, you know that these verses, I mean, I'm looking at some of you in this service and I'll be looking at some in the next. These verses have a special application to you. But let me challenge as I close this awesome teaching team that we have, let me just give some words from me to them. They also apply to you in some ways, but especially for them, I want to challenge you as the new, in my new role as the sage from the stage. Number one, to our great teaching team who preach the word here, I encourage you to continue to be innovative. That's the first word I would give you. I continue, I encourage you, I boldly plead with you to continue to be innovative. I love our visuals, I love our props, I love our creativity, all these things that make the Word of God fresh and refreshing and interesting. I, I have been to churches where I fell asleep and I even knew what the preacher was gonna say. I even gave him some of those great stories and I still fell asleep. I have been to churches where they were doing the same old, same old, same old, year in and year out, week in and week out. And I love our creativity. And so I say to our teaching team right now, continue to be innovative. But always remember that our primary mission is not to entertain people. It's to preach the word. 
I have always used humor, sometimes even cheesy jokes and humor to disarm people because I felt that folks visiting for the first time, especially on the west side of Cincinnati, they thought churches were full of curmudgeons who were baptized in prune juice and didn't know how to laugh, especially at themselves. I, I remember I had an old codger tell me one time that I used too much humor in the pulpit. Now, this should have been a sign to me the way he even said it, the pulpit. He said, there's no place for humor and jokes in the pulpit. You know, I told him, if you knew how much I held back, you'd compliment me. <laughs> so teaching team, of whom I love and I'm pleased, please use humor, use any innovation, use any other tool you have in your communication arsenal. But remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence, and I think this is pretty true of me. My grammar's not always been the best. I think I just barely got out of college. We've had teachers and administrators and uh, have been so encouraging to me. I, I, I'm not, I've never been the greatest, most eloquent speaker. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. As I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, Paul said, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. If you all knew how many times I had to get up here and I said, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. This is a hard message for the church today. I was weak. I was trembling. My message, he said, my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We don't want to be known as the most innovative church in Cincinnati or the world. What we want to be known is, is a church that preaches the word. So team that I love, first, I encourage you to continue to be innovative. Number two, I also encourage you to continue to be relevant. I love our teaching team's reference of current events and movies and music because we have to make the Bible today as practical as possible. And we do live in 2022. I've been visiting some churches, and I honestly, this is not a slam on churches. I know they're good-hearted people. But I've entered some churches, and I felt like I entered a time warp where I was transported back to 1972. The way it felt, the way it sounded, the way it, they, they shared. I, I, we can't do that. But remember, no matter how relevant we become, our power comes from this book right here. It is sufficient and powerful on its own. I got a little picture to show you here. When I first started preaching decades ago, that's what I look like. There are so many things I could say about this picture. Look at that hair. That's a hottie right there, I'm telling you right now. He's got hair. A lot of things have changed, man. Tie, coat. You know what hadn't changed? When I first started preaching back in that day, I was heavily, inf heavily influenced by some other popular pastors who were more topical and inspirational in my style. They were that. I wanted to be that. But my dad, who really is the greatest and still influence on my life, 
My dad was a wonderful expository style preacher, and he heard me preach a couple times in Virginia when I first started. And he said, son, great job, but just, David, just preach and teach the Bible. Read it, explain it, and simply apply it. He says, you can't go wrong with the Bible. Looking back, you know what? He was right. And so when I showed up in Cincinnati, that was my plan. And I've noticed something amazing over my 20 years here. Whenever I preach on a subject, even a difficult one, someone will inevitably come up and say, David, you're not going to believe this. I know it's happened to JT too. I was struggling with a problem or a sin, and I came to church, and I couldn't believe it. You preached on that very thing that day, and you had no idea. How did you know? That's why the power of the Word of God is so great. There's something that it speaks beyond the speaker to you. There are people who said, David, I loved it when you said this in your sermon, and I've gone back. I didn't say that. That's what they heard from the Spirit, which is why Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is alive. It's not dead. It's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So, friend, when you are convicted by something John or me or one of our teachers say, you're going to have to take that up with God. We're just the sanctified donkey that delivered the message. <laughs> Keep preaching the word. So my teaching team that I love and my successor that I cherish, be innovative, be relevant. And last, I encourage you, all of our staff, all of our leaders, but especially uh, our, John and our team, I encourage you to continue to grow the church in as many ways as possible. I love JT's newest focus and strategy to grow disciples who then become disciple makers. It's gold, y'all. And our goal has always been to win as many people to Christ as we can. And I put a lot of effort into seeing and inviting as many people as possible to attend on Sundays to hear the word. And there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible says, don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together. And those of you watching online, this is going to be a challenge for you because you can become real lazy watching online. Oh, I said it. You ought to come back if you can come back. There's some non-downloadables you can't get online. And I love online. Thousands watching online. Don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together. But I try to get as many people as possible here. And looking back, I realized that that was a good strategy, but it was limited. A new and improved scorecard is now needed. So keep remembering, team, that I love that your primary mission, folks, your primary mission in this church is not to increase attendance. Your primary mission is to make disciples who then go and preach the word and trust God to produce and reveal the harvest. And so while I'm at this point, I just want to say a word to you, congregation, here and online that I love, please do not evaluate the effectiveness of any future ministry here by attendance figures. God doesn't. It's great when they're going up, but if you live by numbers, you know what? You'll die by numbers when they're going the other way. God evaluates us by faithfulness to his word. And if his word is being taught passionately and faithfully and accurately and applicably, Jesus is pleased even if an increasing number in our culture in the future won't accept and tolerate sound doctrine or bold vision or our new move 
away from a Sunday morning attractional consumeristic brand of Christianity. That has to change. The truth is that even before the pandemic, and I know you think we were in our glory days before pre-COVID with attendance, and it was awesome. We broke every record we ever thought we would have. But even before the worldwide pandemic occurred, even before that man JT was even on our radar, we were seeing signs that our numbers here were starting to plateau for in-person attendance. People went away. I got them categorized. This might be my Vaughnism coming out. I categorized people. People passed away. People moved away. People drifted away. And some people got disgruntled and they stomped away. And when those things happened, I had to decide if my identity and security was based on a number I was chasing on Sunday or a disciple who was preaching the word every day of the week. I had to decide that. And when these things happen in the future, and they will, JT and our team, your sacred duty and calling has to stay in mind. Preach the word. God will provide. I mentioned my father earlier, and he attended here for several years before his promotion in heaven. <laughs> we were doing three, four, five services. I don't remember how we were doing back then. And thank God we're only doing two sermons now. I was sick of hearing myself preach when we were doing four or five after that. And my dad would always come to the last service because then we'd go to lunch, and he always sat in the back far right row. Can I tell you this? I've preached before thousands of people. I've never been more nervous than when my dad was in the audience. So great was my admiration for him. I just didn't want to disappoint him. I've only had really two goals in life, please my earthly father and please my heavenly father. And that can get wacky if unhealthy, but that was my goal. I never wanted to disappoint either one. And I remember my dad would sit back here, and what really bothered me in a sermon was I see him start to write something. <laughs> I said, oh, no. I must have had some great theological error but often we'd go to lunch. I said, Dad, well, I saw you writing. What were you writing? He said, well, I just wrote down something you said I never thought of before. It was so good, Dave. Or, man, that was a good joke. I'm going to tell that next time I teach somewhere. One Monday before my dad passed, he sent me this simple email. Hey, Dave, all going well here. I'm so proud of you and your ministry. I'm thankful for your devotion to the Scriptures and your plain and simple way of preaching, Dad. And that's really what I want you to hear from the Father. Well done, good and faithful servant. So be real, be biblical. Keep doing Bible things in Bible ways. I will come back if you get off. I'll be talking to JT a lot. That's part of our great new future, which we'll talk about down the road. Keep doing. You got great elders. You have a great staff. You have a great future. Keep doing Bible things in Bible ways. That will serve you well in this life and the next. Now, as we did last week, I think there are a couple of staff, Nick and Alan, that want to come and share some words. And I just got to tell you, this is like, Come on. This is like the most awkward. I've been talked about, but in a different way. But I think they want to share some things about that. And so uh, let's welcome uh, Nick and Alan up here. 
<laughs> yeah, thank you. Hey, y'all. Hey, hey. hey Are David. you golfing today? Uh, you wouldn't want me to. No, okay. Yeah. Well, I just, I just want to. Are you golfing today? I think you're golfing. We're gonna, you? we're gonna I call some, it that. I yeah. saw some clubs. We're right gonna, here. we're gonna okay. call it that. It's gonna be wonderful. I love how awkward this is for you, David. Yeah. By yeah. the way. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you're enjoying. This is wonderful. Uh, David and Donna Vaughn, um, my wife Jackie and I have had a privilege of calling you two friends for over ten years, and. Uh, privilege of serving God's people alongside of you, which is, okay, Connor, I see why you don't want to look at him. You start crying, right? Okay, we're gonna st- I'm going to stop. There are so many examples that you guys have set um, for couples like my wife and I. We've watched you navigate things, and it's been wonderful to see that. But, but something stands head and shoulders above everything. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a redwood tree in a grass field. It's just, it's standing there. And that is your conviction when it comes to the living, breathing word of God. Your commitment to that made it really easy to call Whitewater home. We were not drawn to anything in particular other than the one thing that's perfect. That's God's word. Words are important. Your story is important. Alan's story is important. Our stories are important. And words are important. They, have, they, they sometimes carry nations on their Words carry nations on their shoulders. Words have started wars, have inspired movements. Words fill our ears when put to melodies, and we call that music. Or here, we call it worship. So here are a few words that I think of, that we think of when we see Donna and David. Courage. Courage to preach, teach, lead, and hold fast to the truths of Scripture. Gentleness. As my wife put it as we talked in a long car ride on our way to work, about 300 miles. (laughs) She said, gentle souls. If you've ever had a conversation with Donna, so gentle. Your, your ears and your heart and your, and your attention will start to bow to her gentleness. And every time I talk to her, I listen, and, and it's always met with smiles and encouragement. And my wife couldn't say enough about the things that that meant to her. David, your way of making people feel welcome and seen all of these years, it's been wonderful. You've inspired people to, to, to not only visit, but then when they visit, to stay. You guys are all here, and you stayed. But also the correction through Scripture, which is brave. And, um, but it's always loving, like a dad. And for that, we say thank you. Honor. You honor those around you. We watch it every day. We've been the beneficiary of the honor, of the way you speak to us, the way you encourage us. It says in 1 Timothy, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work, whose work is preaching and teaching. 1 Timothy 5.17. So if you ever doubt that you are to honor them, make no doubt about it. Double honor. Our military honors our soldiers with precious metal. They wear on their chests for everyone to see. 
are sports teams everywhere, almost everywhere, champions, almost. We honor them with hardware. You know this term, hardware, trophies. It's beautiful for the masses to gaze upon. But for you and Donna, I believe that words is where you will find part of your legacy. Countless stories of salvation in Jesus Christ, stories of hope through the countless hours and dollars given to those in need, something like Solve 7, which I love. That Solve 7 van for me makes me, it's, it's wonderful. Stories of overcome addictions and hangups, even for folks that thought that they were doing pretty good in their life. Many words have shaped our days together. And one more thing about words, and just so you know, uh, words that we say, sayings that we say, take on a different meaning when you're a pastor. Things like, no news is good news. That sounds cool. What that means is you did everything right that week That's at right. the pulpit. That's the guess, right? The pulpit. Did y'all hear that? Yeah. <laughs> one of my last things is steadfastness. You made it. Two location changes, one pandemic countless letters, notes, and quick conversations after church, some encouraging and some not so much. But make, make no mistake, your commitment to teaching the Bible as it is written is a firm foundation that this church will continue to stand on for years to come. Nothing more compelling, nothing more elegant, and nothing more solid than the word. Finally, these words... Nothing is better than the church than when the church is working right. Although not scripture. It should be. (laughs) (laughs) Although not scripture. These words will echo in the hallways of my heart till I meet Jesus. We are better because of you and Donna today. That's awesome. Thank you, Nick. Thanks, man. Um, hey, everybody. Hi. It's uh, that Asian guy. Yes. Listen, before I say anything, um, can we just give God some glory and praise for giving us a man like David Vaughn to pastor this church for so long? It's God's doing. That's God right there. You know, God built a great leader for the church, this church body, and it's God who's providing a legacy of leadership here that you and I are able to trust, right? So with that being said, uh, you know, when it comes to David's uh, 20-year legacy here at Whitewater, I've only been around for like the last two. Um, so, you know, my, my first impression of you, David, was as a staff member. Um, I only lived in Cincinnati for two years, so my blood isn't quite turned into chili yet. Um, as a congregant... <laughs> You know, compared to a lot of people here, uh, you know, I'm a total newbie. So when I was asked to come up here to, to talk about you, I was like, what do I have to say? <laughs> um, I'm totally new. Um, I'm at a total disadvantage. But, but then I realized, actually, because of my short time here, I have a completely different, different perspective than most people do, right? I get to see David's leadership from the outside with no preconceived notions, no bias, I was able to observe David as a staff member, as a congregant, and as a new church member. And let me tell you, 
David's the real deal. He's the real deal. When we talk about this biblical church leadership, Paul writes some key attributes in 1 Timothy 3, 2 verse 4. It says, so a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, have good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home and must be able to teach. Oh boy, can David Vaughn teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. David has checked off all those boxes, not just as your pastor, but as the leader of a, of a big organization and as a normal dude chasing after Jesus. Because look, really, it's not about David. It's about the fact that David chases after our king. After our Lord, after our Christ, David is following someone who we should be following. And so by that nature, we are following someone who is following the king and the leader, Jesus Christ. So we got to give praise for that. We are lucky. We are lucky to have such a biblical example of leadership here. Um, And speaking of the word of God, uh, one thing that I love is that David preaches from the Bible, like he said. He has that, you know, that photo. That was great. Is that the same Bible? You like that? It it is not. I I go through them pretty quick. (laughs) Well, I love it. Is anybody else glad that their pastor preaches from the Bible? I mean, that's... (laughs) As someone who's learning, who's learning to be a communicator of the gospel, watching David craft his messages around scripture has been inspiring. I learned so much, not just from watching him teach, but from seeing how he allows scripture and the Holy Spirit to use him to speak the truth. David, you and I have had a few conversations where you told me, Alan, man, uh, you you don't have to think about it too hard. You just got to preach about Jesus. Those words are going to affect me for my whole life. My whole life. I aspire to be that kind of teacher who speaks the simplicity of grace and truth, like David said, to have a biblical worldview that includes diversity of thought, diversity of people. Uh That's why we look like an Oreo over here. Yes, preach it, preach it. And, and grace, and grace for people's life journeys and not their current weaknesses. It was a delay. I'm glad he said it. You know, <laughs> just somebody had to. <laughs> Friends, listen, every time you ask David for prayer, watch him speak online, or preach from this very pulpit, David left you with something, Okay. Did you know with every sermon he preached, David has left a legacy in you, in your hearts. You are proof that David and the other leaders of this ministry were obedient to God. Okay? In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 3, it says, Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. And look, David, I may not have known you for a very long time, but there is someone in the church that I've known for a very long time, and that's John Tizovich. I've known John for seven years, and him and Kelly have known my wife for 14. They have been a big part of my life and my growth in Jesus. And let me tell you, guys, from someone who's been working alongside these two, very closely for the last two years, 
I want to let you know David and John are incredibly similar. Trust me when I say, you're not losing David, you're gaining John. Okay? That's the mindset we have to have here. God is a good provider, y'all. He provided our church family with a successor to David who has the same heart and passion for reaching people far from Jesus. Trust me when I say, the importance of having a leader who's chasing after our Lord and his mission is apparent in both David and John's hearts. John loves this church body, and I believe God appointed David to be here in the same way that he appointed John to be here. Let me tell you, it's been so fun to watch my mentor be mentored. It's been really cool. I literally would not be here if God did not see something in David. And if David had not seen something in John, and if John had not seen something in me. It is this cycle of discipleship that's not only biblical, but doable for everyone, not just people in ministry. Personally, God has used you, David, to teach me that leaving a legacy isn't being about the the guy who's been here for 20 years. It's about being open to the instruction from the Holy Spirit, having a committed relationship with Jesus, and being obedient to God's word. David, thank you. Thank you for being that for us. We love you. Love you. Thank you. Are we done? <laughs> He's always so tired after done? these. Are we done? Are we done? <laughs>